All right, episode five for the Best Side Podcast coming at you featuring none other than Mr. Andrew Judd. Now, for those that aren't in the know, Andrew Judd was a former mayor of New Plymouth, New Plymouth District Council, and he was pushing forward to have a Māori ward introduced into council. And to say that it was met with resistance uh, is a massive, massive understatement. Self-professed recovering racist Andrew Judd polarised Aotearoa with a stance to support the creation of a Māori ward in the New Plymouth district. Though that's not where Andrew's journey began. Growing up in Masterton, New Zealand with a mother who immigrated to our country, Andrew was no stranger to discrimination growing up from both the receiving and giving end. Moving through his experiences over our corridor, almost chronologically we discover his views on how we can all overcome discrimination and even how to use it to your advantage in times too. Uh, Māori are lucky that the British saved them, which is just one of the many standout sentences, uh, comments, quotes, whatever you want to call it, that gets exchanged in this uh, little bit over an hour chat that I got to have with Andrew. Since we've caught up, he's actually engaged in about 300 more uh, speaking engagements around Aotearoa, so we're looking forward to catching up with him as well. But here it is, episode 5 with Andrew Judd. The Māori are lucky that the British saved them. Where are you from? Are you from Taranaki originally? No, no, I was born in Masterton in the Wairarapa. Cool. And so I'm one of six children. Oh, wow. I'm one of seven, so I can relate. I was second to the top, second eldest. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm second youngest, though. Wow. I'm at the end of the scale, do you? Spoiled one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had it sweet until my youngest brother turned up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dropped the perch. Yeah, that's it. Oh, sweet. And so. I guess tell me about your upbringing then because you, you talk about that a lot in yeah. some of the talks that I've seen um, me myself I was actually living in Australia when a lot of um, I guess when you were really active and what you're doing, not that you're not active now but you know when, 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 yeah, when that time I was in Australia a lot so um, obviously my first reaction was to kind of research stuff and see what was going on but I actually chose not to do that and I thought I'd just to take it from a bit of a fresh perspective so I have seen your TED talk for sure yeah. um, and I used to work at Te or Taranaki so I was there from when I was 16 until I was 24 and then after that I shot off overseas but those guys can't talk about you enough when you know they're, they're my family and I love them and your Tamsin talks about you all the time yes, and they, they absolutely love you but um, yeah I thought it'd just be cool to explore your story a bit and so you're from Masterton originally six Born siblings one of six or one of six children oh, yeah. so five boys one sister Second eldest. Cool. And was as were you guys farmers or no, no, so we my dad was a um, he had a few jobs. He, he used to have a, a bookshop, like a toy shop in Main Street of Masterton, and then he went into the YMCA. Okay. He was director of the YMCA. So as children I, we used to have our summer camps at Riversdale. Oh cool. And it would be with children from sort of broken families that would come together. Oh, I see. And uh, so and he was right into scouting. My mother was a immigrant from the Guernsey in the Channel Islands. Oh, crazy. And as a child, they fled Guernsey because the Germans invaded and occupied her house. Oh, wow. So I had a lot of uh, stories of, of the wrongs of Hitler, World mm. War II, and uh, my grandfather, her dad, immigrating to New Zealand to start a new life post the war, because Guernsey was never quite the same, particularly for those that fled which was her family. Yeah. When they came back, he'd lost his job. It was just the, it was just the, the stress and the, tra- the trauma of war. Mm. Those that left were treated, or he at least felt, were treated differently for having left. Yeah. But of course, not having been there, the tension of war, the invasion of Germans. Um, and so, being number two in the family, I was always close to my mum because I became her like helper with mm. the, my younger siblings. 
So very much influenced by my mother's worldview of things. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you had obviously you had a lot of conversations with mum hearing about how life was for, for her, her growing and up and stuff. Coming to Marston and, and what she turned. So she, I think my mother was traumatised coming out to New Zealand at 16. She oh, was sure. homesick. Masterton was very quiet and rural. Guernsey's very French, very European in a sense. Yeah. Coastal, so she's in an inland city. She was uh, tremendously homesick. Uh, she very though a Christian Anglican. She met my dad quite early on, and uh, through the church, and got married at 21. So, um, but always for her life, felt trapped in this different space and place culturally. And raised, growing up, there was things, cultural differences, she would say, you wouldn't have had that if you'd been born in Guernsey, you would have been this or that. Can you remember any examples that she... Oh, rugby wasn't her thing, the violent thuggery, <laughs> New Zealand beer, rugby, racing culture. Yeah. It's not, um, I don't know why she sort of saw things like that, but that's, I was no, influenced by you. I can definitely understand that, like I've travelled a bit myself, so I can understand, like a lot of people's perspective in New Zealand, it's interesting hearing what people... Um, I wouldn't say assume, but you know, just what they've been told by whether it's media outlets or anything like that. Of because you know, I guess with most, um, I don't know whether you call it human. Or I I, I want to say it's normal, but it's kind of weird that it is normal. You kind of take the three or four bullet points that you've heard about other places around the world, cultures and stuff like that, and that's your summary of them. That's all you assume. Like when I've travelled, people always ask me about Once Were Warriors whenever I travel. They always say, is that real? Does that really happen? Or in some instances, yeah. But that's, don't think that is New Zealand. Like that's an example of one part, for sure. Oh, and, without, and so for me as a child, when I look back, I was watching somebody torn from her culture mm. and her place in space. And she was forever deeply homesick. She never went back? or uh, Only when they were, because they had children and, and they were, they were, we were, we went off a lot of means. We went to rich people in yeah. terms of money. So, and I think, but her parents did, and it was, yeah, it was good, an interesting time to observe that as a child and, and to be influenced by that without really knowing that I was. That you were being influenced? Yeah, in a way that I never really connected to either. So when, uh, kind of, how long further through your journey, I guess, how old were you when you kind of realised how much of an influence that had on you? Was it very recently probably, or was it quite probably early Probably went more so recently. Yeah. Especially going through the whole question of, of cultural identity. Because for me, of course, my mother is, she's a Channel Islander, she's from Guernsey. Yeah. Um, I was raised with that influence and I'm, part of me wants to connect to that and find that and understand that. Um, but I've ever never known New Zealand. Yeah. And then within that space, how do I connect as a Pākehā? Mm. Uh, how do I culturally understand what are my values as a Kiwi? What, how are they? Are they shared? Do we know what they are? Uh, I grab. I, I used to would grab Maori cultural things, haka, whole things. I think that's what appropriate. I don't speak there. I don't understand what that meant. Yeah. Why don't I? Mm. Why was Why was that not in my life? And uh, and sorry if I bounce around, but my mum would influence in the way that um, I viewed Maori. And my, my whole parents said, because my dad was that traditional rugby racing, didn't particularly drink alcohol particularly, mm-hmm. but my older brother was a very talented rugby player, so that, there was this divide. So my dad's view of culture was rugby. Ah, yeah. Work hard and, um, yeah, working class, really. Not particularly, uh, with all due respect to my dad, wasn't we weren't a highly educated family. There was no... Um, pressure on us to achieve higher, higher um, academic outcomes in life, it was, yep. as long as you've got a job and all of that. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know if I've lost my train of the thought. No, you're all right. But it's really yeah. just, I think, um, as, as I got older, I decided I needed because life as a junior, you're trying to find where you connect to. Yeah. And so when I fuck a puppet, because through my pipi hair, I of course I really fuck a puppet to, to master to. But in a lot of ways, because that's kind of tough for me to truly identify, because I think I'm in a lot of ways a lost soul in the sense I, I can, I've got my pathway, I've got two pathways. My father and my mother are oh, yeah. in that same place. And so within those two directions, well, where do I sit? Yeah. Because when I think of home and place and space, I think of New Zealand. I think of Guernsey. Yeah. I think of England. And do you know much about your whakapapa to Guernsey? Was that something you always grew up knowing because of those conversations with them? Um, or was so that something you recently learned during your uh, recent I'm, journey? I'm yet to truly take that journey. Okay. Because most of the influence from my mother was around particularly her angst of being stuck in Masterton, taken from her homeland, um, the war. It was kind of a sort of, I think now looking back, maybe a bit of depression around that. Mm-hmm. You know, lost soul, and, and it's massive. Like I have conversations all the time with um, with Māori in particular. I, I, you know, friends and I who have had these conversations with, we can kind of notice. Um, oh, I wouldn't go as far as to say like massive mental health issues, but definitely a bit of um, depression and stuff comes. You can see it. Like those that kind of know their tūranga waiwai and things like that, they they seem a bit more, for lack of a better term, mentally sound. Um, a lot more confident, um, I guess, because they know who they are and they know where they're from, whereas a lot of those people, especially ones that are born in New Zealand, as I saw when I was in Australia, they were born in New Zealand but then grew up over there, um, they don't know those ties or don't have those ties or haven't been back for whatever reason. Um, it really can have an effect on, on the upbringing. Yeah, well, because I tried to influence my mum to go, because my dad died when I was 19. Okay. And so I tried to support him. And, you know, why don't you go back? Why don't you reconnect? But she couldn't. Because she didn't know how to, mm. was my observation. It was, some, it was almost like she was now trapped in this place where she has actually been a master in so long, she's become more of a New Zealander than she probably would ex- Would like to. <laughs> how did her and your dad meet, do you know? Oh, they met through the church. Oh, okay. St. Matthew's and Masters. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Uh, and how did you end up in Taranaki? Well, that's a bit of a journey. So, dad died when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's an interesting age as a teenager like that. So, I, one of six children, they were living at the time. His job was called, it was a runner, it was a home for broken family for boys. And so, they had a house on the site of his job. But so, I had to move back to our family home with my younger brothers and sisters. So, I mean, moved back to try and help. I need to realise with the grief of a loss of a parent and that I can't fill those shoes. And so, there was, a, and I decided to cut loose and run away basically. I ran away. And I ran away to Huntley. To Huntley? Uh, what what do you job, think? I've got a job in Huntley. Do so you think you ran away from the responsibility of helping out, or...? I think the trauma of, of a death, I didn't quite know how to cope with that. Mm. Um, As you say, the loss of you. Well, I was never close to my dad, so there was this whole sort of grey area of, of... It was just a mess, and we were a little bit of a dysfunctional family in a lot of ways. It wasn't that there wasn't love, but it wasn't... I guess we can all want more in our childhoods and we look back at things with how it could have, should have been better or different. Mm. Um, and being one of six, we were quite ranging in age, really. you got to fight for it when you're in a big family. you got to fight what for I that attention. back now, one of your preamble questions is, yeah, you did have to fight for it, particularly as a young lad to, to a father. So I never connected in that term, in that male sense, yeah. male role model. Because 
we never just he never opened up emotionally we never talked about i never heard the whole i love you son mm. or we were in a touchy feely family and i didn't play rugby i, I was mummy's boy really. yeah i was going to say like the I relationship you had with your mum was so she, she sent me off to tap dancing and things with a little bit of theater and, and I just did that to please mum and to, to want to be have people be happy. It's not something you really particularly enjoyed? No, or, I, well, I did. I, it's not that I didn't. It's just, and I, I mean, I played rugby and Huntley later on in life. It's not that I wasn't. I mean, I could, it was one of those ironies in life. I could always outrun my older brother who was good at rugby, and he could never tackle me because I was smaller and quicker. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And so I just, I don't think I had that natural physical aggression that you need for those contact sports and that's okay well, yeah, for sure i love you know it's in our dna in yeah. a way right but i it never i never felt the need to have to do it i was more individual so i rode motorbikes i'm a, I'm a um, pretty much a um, an introvert so i find solitude and recharging by being on my own mm-hmm. so i was i was always a loner and we would go on these camps with the sky on at the beach on my own i'd be up in the hills on my own it's a common theme that seems to come up with a lot of these conversations that I wouldn't say versus, but you know, the introversion and the extroversion and yeah. and where you gain your energies from and it's not necessarily about you know, like again the assumption traditionally I think is that introverts have been anti social. But that's not necessarily no, the case. No, I can just be social when I have to, but I, I I just know myself as a point where I have to then go. Yeah. It becomes too much in the sense of I need to be away and be on my own to just uh, charge the batteries up and I get things put together. Yeah, yeah, because I did think and, and just transmit and yeah, yeah, really program things through. And I find that I can do that outdoors. I can, I can do that in the heat of the times of the mayoralty. I would often find myself at Lucy's Gully. I can't explain why, but I'd find myself naturally driving there to get out and be amongst the trees and the bush. Decongest. Just to, just to breathe in the air and to hear the wind through the leaves. And I just recharge completely. So that was your spot? I know, strange, I can't explain it, but I, but I would. It would really just reinforce where I was at and really centre me and come back and face it again. Awesome, I'm real happy that you found that place because so many people have yet to find their spot where they can go to and just, just, yeah, just, yeah, just depressurise a bit. And well, that's, yeah, I mean, loads of stories to tell you, but I get. It's almost like a court, it was like a place to go. It almost felt right to go somewhere, to be away, to to yeah, to really draw on the energy around the bush. I can't. Have you always felt a connection to the outdoors and not 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 only more recently. Mm. Um, I can't find words, but something did happen to me. People might say an epiphany or enlightenment, and that's that's a true something. It happened at Wamadai, and since that time, I. And drawing to the to the outdoors, it's almost like I can feel it differently. It has a sense of feeling to me: the bush, the water, and the air. Was it a particular incident that happened, or no? It was just you just had a light bulb moment. Uh, that was there. my first time as the mayoralty on on, on Sumai Pomari Day. Okay, that was that began my um, self-reflected journey, and. Um, you ask so I was the first time on in my life in my life and the night before I couldn't sleep I was tossing and turning I learned a small peppy heart that I, you know, I was going to have to say for the first time in public do some to their pronunciation my racism and my fear was bouncing around my head what's going to happen to me are they going to cook and eat me if I get it wrong mm. 
I look back and it's all, it's all true. I'm not, this is just the thoughts that go through yeah, yeah, yeah. in the dialogue, you know. Don't be stupid while you're thinking like that. I've been engaging with Tamsin and beautiful people in the Māori world for the first time prior to going to Oamarae. And so, um, but and when I'm there, and um, as you would recall, so of course it's a recount of the, um, the troops coming to Parihaka. And they, there's the drum, there's a waiata that's And as I sat there, uh, the drum beating, I could, I, I can't find the words to explain this, but it was like, it was like the roof, the floor, the walls, the pictures, the carvings, the people talking to me in a way which was to say, pick up that, minute, that inner mirror, Andrew Judd. Mm. You know the one. The one that you know there's an image in there that you can easily turn around because it's inside that no one knows. Yeah. Not only pick it up, but look at it and take ownership of what you see. It'll be okay, you have to do it. You know you do, you know you do. And every time the water was getting louder and I could hear the drum, the sounds of it. No, 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 I'm with you, I'm with you. It's true, man, and so I did. And I, I, I knew what was there, I knew, but I had to look. And what I saw was an ignorant, racist person full of a fear that was unjust. Because the first time in your life, Andrew, you've walked across the bridge to the Māori So that was the first time that you... That I you... felt something. Okay. And that was... Felt it. Not thought it. Felt it. And, that, and you ask yourself the question before, though? You had, you had well, conversations, I guess, in your head about... Well, I always, in my whole life, if I'm truly and transparent around this, it, um, knew something was wrong, but I could never put my finger on what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. In terms of Māori, in terms of who we are and our place in our space in our country. What were some of the signs that, that made you come to that realisation, hey, something's wrong with me? Was there things that you were doing or conversations you well, were having? Well, becoming a parent, yep. uh, becoming a bit more mature, becoming a bit more relaxed and um, getting over myself a bit of a lot of things in life and realising that it's not all about me in a sense. Becoming the me, you see. I campaigned with the slogan, let's bring honesty back to local politics. And you may have heard this, because the narrative of that was around uh, a council that I viewed was a community that wasn't being honest with how we were tracking with our projected rate increases. So it was very much a conservative financial approach to, you know, getting in the council. And of course those words, let's bring honesty back, I just, they, I, I could never have imagined that they would come to me in a way. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Yeah. Because you see, what I was starting to feel with engaging with Māoridom was, so where does honesty in local politics fit with this, Mr Judd? Because what I was starting to unravel, and it actually, the very first beginning of this, was the protest out at Waitara with the Pekka Pekka. Mm-hmm. I was only in the job two weeks, and I had a phone call from TV New Zealand, Hayden Jones. Mr Mayor, there was a protest out here by the leaseholders, and the council increasing their rates, their leases to an extraordinary, you know, huge amount they can't afford. Um, I'm out here interviewing a man in the street. Would you come out for an interview? I thought, you can't be the mayor in the office. Of course, you've got to go out in front of the people. Mm. CEO says, don't go out. It's all part of the treaty settlement with Te Atiara and the Crown, nothing to do with the council. I thought, oh, no, I'm going out front and up. <laughs> so I go out there, interviewed by Hayden Jones, have a cup of tea with the people in the house, it's crying going on, these rates increases are killing us. It's going from $500 a year to $5,000 a year. Um, we don't know who's going to be the landlord soon, it could be the Marys, and 
what's going to happen and we were promised we could buy our land and we can't. So driving back to the office, I'm thinking, oh, I'm sick of this stuff. The Marys, enough's enough. I'm the mayor. Well, surely I can do something to help these poor leaseholders. This is ridiculous. Mm. Maybe I can talk to Jonathan Young or, the, you know, you know, this is, my, this is going to be my first go at my first challenge. Yep. Get back to the office, ask for a... Where, where, where is the Crown and, and who, what the Iwi, where are they and with the settlement? Was Julie given some reading information um, of where the act and, the, and where everybody was at? And I just happened to open it up at the beginning of Te Atiawa's account of some of historical accounts. And it must have been two hours before I stopped reading. Because I, I was reading some parallel New Zealand that I knew nothing about. So you asked the question, mm. when did it start? You see, there's some things you can't avoid. And one of the logical things is reading some events that I knew nothing about. Yeah. So, of course, my other inner voice is saying, you're supposed to be the mayor. You don't even know what took place in Waitara. You don't even know what Pariahaka is. I thought it was a hippie commune around the coast. Mm. You don't even know who Tiatiara. Could you tell me who all the iwi are in the province, Mr. Chan? Do you know who the hapu are? Who are you the mayor for? So these are the voices. That's That's a lot to take on, like... Well, I shut it down. The book shut. Because here's the thing, and I share this with people. Because not only is that a lot to take on, there is a louder voice over top of that. You don't have to worry about it, Yeah. Who cares? Not your problem. It's Mary's. We're all one. They've got to move on. It's the government's issue, not you. Don't touch them. It's going to undo with you. Mm. That voice wouldn't stay silent. And that began this journey of challenging myself in a way that I'd never ever dreamed I would in my life. Because it had never occurred to me to challenge myself. Yeah. And the same voice says to me, and that's called privilege, Andrew. What do you mean privilege? You know exactly what you mean, Andrew, because you see, you've always known. The way you've reacted to that is through anger. I couldn't look at a Māori flag without, throughout my life without feeling some sort of um, ill feeling, mm-hmm. intimidation. Waitangi day, just a day off. Waitangi day, stuff like this. Till the news, I'm like, look at them, what's going on now? You know there's been something there, Andrew. You've just had no desire or need or reason to look at it. But now you're the mayor, mate. So if you're going to be honest in local politics, how honest are you going to be about this? But the honesty has to start with me. I have to put some skill in the game. I've got to take a new journey for myself, selfish as that sounds. So that journey is running parallel to the question of Pekka Pekka and the settlement of Tiatiara and the ground. And what I was observing in the process of settlement with the Crown. And I don't know these individual people like um, Mr. Finlayson, and, but what I was watching was my whole world was imploding. My whole view of she'll be right, mate, fear go, we're all. It wasn't real. Yeah. It's not real, Andrew. They're bullying these people. The Crown has all those resources. The settlement people have day jobs. They're not in the flesh offices, driving BMWs. They are, and then they pull up and just an average. These are like, might seem crazy things. Mm. But these are voices telling me, you see, you got it wrong, you don't know, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. Pretty big epiphany. Like, it's not even one, like a series. Things of, were happening. Yeah. 
and my one of the biggest ones was of course on not only on Oamarai, but the experience I was getting within the Maori world was love and inclusion. Because mm. I could feel it. Uncle Tiki, I meant the Komatua. Man, I was so nervous. I go to go to meet all the Komatua at Tui Order. Mm. And I look in the room and Anadu from the council was my buddy to take me to bring me in. I looked in the room and I thought, I've never been in a room where I'm the only white person. Funny thing to think. That's mm. what I thought. And you're the voice. Real though. And you're the voice says, yeah, so what? You're the man. Man up. What are you scared of? I don't know. Hung around the room for the first time in my life. Sat for the first hour or so it's all in Te Reo Here I am in my own city as the mayor, or our city as the mayor, within an environment that's so foreign to me. Tiki gets up yelling and screaming. In Te All in Te Yeah. And I thought, oh, someone's in trouble. Gee, you wouldn't want to be that person. Trying to keep a professional face. Mm-hmm. Look like I'm engaged with something I don't even understand what's being said. Turns to me, points with a stick and says, and so don't muck it up! <laughs> He's talking about me. Yeah. Of course I can. But you know I do what he said. <laughs> but I can, of course can't realise. He has, he had, well, I mean, such love in his heart. Mm. But this is all part of this journey. Yeah, yeah. And so, but in that environment, everyone was so nice. Laughter, fun, inclusion. We're here to help you, Mr. Mayor. So when you were nervous, that night, you, know, you, just, you know, spoke about nights where you didn't sleep, going into sense of were you expecting the complete opposite? Yes. Yeah. Which is part of this journey, you see, so what my expectation of, and my reality was so far apart. Mm. So the questions I was asking myself was, so why was I, where has that come from? Why am I nervous? Or why was I? What was I scared of? Do you know what it was, Andrew? You were actually, well, there's a whole things that came to me. Is you're ignorant and you're fearful and you're lost and you're racist. You see, you don't know what racism feels, uh, actually is because as a nation, I know we get the R word and people can close down but the reality is we can't talk about it in a mature way as Pākehā, too Pākehā really, or even perhaps with Māori mm. because the Andrew of the world have come from no knowledge of the Māori world at all. Not only could I not, and, and I'm conscious to obviously on that own journey, I remember asking a counsellor, what's the difference between Hapu and Iwi, what does that, what does that mean? And I'm the mayor. Mm. The reason I'm saying this is I came to realise we are so far apart. We haven't even found a way on the grassroots level of people, in a true sense, to be together, right? Mm. And I, because the question is, why is it the first time on a marae? Why have I in my life never, ever bothered to go and find out? Yes, I've been to Rotorua, of course. I, so when I say first time, I'm talking in an official yep. capacity. You know, I've been to Te Papa. It's not what I mean. I'm talking figuratively in the sense of engaging mm-hmm. with the Māori world by the first time on a marae. Does that make sense? Yep, the yep, difference there? I understand. And why had I never bothered to do that? I don't know, I couldn't answer it. And so I needed to, step by step, break down my inner barriers. And it was tough, because I was naturally in tune to throw up another wall behind the wall. I had firewall after firewall after firewall. Yeah. And so 
you've got to keep at it, right? Because you've got to think, I'm not going to stop there. I want to keep pushing with this. Because again, my experience isn't matching those firewalls. And often I say to people, um, and I just use Don Brash in the terms of his narrative, of his words rather than the individual, because I don't actually know the man. But my saying with him is, ultimately I came to terms is that the person or the voice standing between me and that world is the Don Brash of the world. Pakia, we are the problem. Mm-hmm. We always have been. We also, have, we also have to be the solution, actually. And so um, I'm going to bust that wall to get across. And the wall is within. It is the Don Brash within. And so, and having done that, and I'm not perfect, I'm still on a journey, mm. I felt more, I can't describe the utopia that I feel by facing that fear and dominating it in a way that I'd never done in my life. I'm blessed. I'm blessed more. You, you can't buy what I've realised. It's like, a, like an enlightenment. I was a racist. I'm not proud to say it, but look, I've been racist. Hmm. I've had racist, biased attitudes towards martyrdom. That racist, biased attitude made me angry, made me more distant, made me more nervous and, sh- and, and scared, it made me an ugly person. It tipped into other cultures because not only then did it play out towards martyrdom, I, I just looked at everyone as foreign. Indians, Asians, whoever, you're all foreigners in my country. Oh. But hang on, look in the mirror. What's your culture, Jay? If those, all those people are foreigners, different, what's your, who are you? Where do you fit? It's a hard thing to do, because oh, our, natural, our natural thing is we're all one. Well, hang on, and as a co-martyr said it, and I love it because it says it all to me, well, if we're all one in New Zealand, let's all be Māori. We're in New Zealand, we're all one, let's all be Māori. <laughs> and I go, well, I can't be Māori. Of course not. Well, who are you asking Māori to be? Bakia, if you can't be Māori, Māori can't be That's crazy. I was thinking, where are you going with this? But that's a big light bulb. Yes, we're one citizen, but we are not one. Mm. Because you see, Andrew, if somebody said to you, come over to my place tonight, I'm having some friends, I see some attempt from around the globe, come dressed in your national costume. What am I going to wear? What's my culture? Some of my fellow Pākehā might wear a kilt because great-granddad was Scottish, or some other cultural dress. I could maybe wear something from Guernsey. Yes, I, I go back to that, but is that my, is that who I am? Mm. I can't actually go back to England if I want to with Brexit. No. Any case, I can't. And I'm not Māori, because for all one, let's all be Māori. Right, I understand that now. So where do I fit? And within that scope, what am I then shared values with Pākehā? What are my cultural values? What do I believe in? What would I stand for or fall for? Certainly grab Māori culture when it suits. Haka of poverty. Yeah. But that's, I don't, I can't do a haka, and I don't speak today, I don't understand a poverty. But I would say we're all one. I think I'm broken. I think actually, Andrew, the problem is you. You're a bit lost. And because you're a little bit lost, you'll never admit that to anybody. That's because that's quite a big thing to say. Oh, lost. So what do you throw out? Your balls, your firewalls come up. Get over it. Move on. We're all one. We're all New Zealanders. Mm. What are you going to play the race card? I said, wait. It's not a race card. It's got nothing to do with race. Actually, I say. I say that a lot now. This is cultural difference. Um, 
because I talk in terms of culture and race, and I say, to, and I try to explain to people about cultural differences, and I use America as an example. America has a gun culture. American, European, Americans, and European New Zealanders are all from England, so we're actually the same uh, cultural identity. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, you know, race, but we're culturally different. Mm. I don't attach. Mm. I don't connect with a gun culture. America does. I wouldn't want that forced on me, and they don't want to lose their right to be arms, etc. There are cultural differences. That same thing applies with Māori dim and non-Māori. The other big firewall I had to get over was that this is a Māori country. You cannot change facts, Andrew. We came out here. Massive fear comes in with that about being lost. Yeah. This is this is this questions I had of myself. I was born here too. Bugger that. I belong here. It is also my place. For well, yeah, I was, and and I was given a right to stay here. A treaty. How special was it for Māori to allow us to share and have a treaty? What you've never done though, Andrew, is understand that obligation. Understand that privilege. Because whether I did it or whether I didn't speaks about who I am. And I've done nothing. I didn't, I got all the way through to a mayor of a city and I had never engaged in our past or the Māori world at all. Why not? I've been in times I'd go overseas on holiday and be fascinated by the, the indigenous culture. How odd am I? Went to Hawaii, loved to see all the things about the native Hawaiians. Australia with the Aboriginal, I'd, I'd get defensive and, and feel an angst towards those indigenous people. Yet I'd come home and I didn't want to know anything about Māori. Mm. I'd look away. I think you're racist. Thing is, Andrew, if you've never truly experienced racism, and I haven't, how do you know if you're being racist? Because my view of racism would be KKK. Civil rights movement. I'd naturally go to something that I saw as an extreme version of something. Yeah, I was going to say. Because someone said to me once, oh, you're not racist, Andrew. Surely if someone came to get their eyes tested and you said no because they were Maori, they would be racist. I said, well, yeah, well, of course. And I said, no, I've not done that. But I have got out from behind the counter to stand by somebody Maori in case they stole something. Mm -hmm. You cannot be half pregnant in this space because what I mean by that is what I never ever really connected with is how I made that person feel. The privilege that I had by doing that. My unconscious bias. I've never had to live that experience. So yes, it's degrees, but the feeling that I've given to somebody is the same. Mm. And that's a power construct that I've got in some natural way without knowing why. So I'm being racist. I'm profiling. It's degrees, yes. And the other thing we'd say, or I'd say, is at least we're not like Australia. Mm. So I had, to, I had this whole chapter that I talk about called my deflections. Deflect away from looking at myself. And so I'd think, well, what's that say about me? I'm saying to Māori, okay, you might have had a bad deal. I didn't do it. Sorry about that. You've got to get over it though, mate. You can't be stuck there forever. And just think about it. Could be worse. Could be like that guy down there. Think how lucky you are. Mm. Until I realised, how arrogant. Here I am deciding what's good or bad for someone by deciding what's good or bad for someone else. 
and all that space that all I'm actually caring about is me. Unreal. And so you get an overwhelming sense of emotion because the temptation for the other firewall kicks in. This is all internal dialogue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll talk about the external dialogue eventually. Oh, but we'll we'll how that then plays out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll, but we'll talk so, about that. Well, you say your voice says, well, so what? No one knows. Talk about it. You didn't do it. You didn't take the land. Take the, stop the language. You're a good person. Put the Māori flag up. Have some karakia. Get some kaumata in the place. You don't have to do much. Go and do a wānana course or something. That's not real. I said to myself, that's not real, is it? I did 12 months with the Mananga. I found myself a bit guilty of going down a different pathway, of kind to sort of think I could kind of connect to a world because I could, what, pronounce some words a little bit better. That's cultural appropriation, Andrew. You're not Māori. You cannot speak for Māori. You may be able to learn some of te reo. But that's like saying, I read the Bible. It doesn't make me Christian. Yeah, yeah. So you can't. So what are you, who are you trying to be? Um, it was fascinating. But it was scary too. Yeah, for sure. Because the, the other thing is politically, and in all that space, I have an ego. Mm. Of course I do. I'm not a complete idiot in the sense that, and this was the biggest voice of all, take your time, take people with you. Do a little bit now, a little bit later. This is around representation, actually. Um, and you can make the effect over change. Until I ask myself, really? Does honesty in local politics truly fit in taking my time in this regard? Because now that I see this in myself, I cannot unsee it. And if I choose to unsee some things, I'm part of the problem, I'm part of the evil. Because when I take my time, if it was the rural community being objected or subjected to petitions to be excluded, I wouldn't, would I? Would I want my voice, who's been so segregated in this regard, to be ignored in that way? Who are you the mayor for, Andrew? Just the majority? Something different now for you. You have to take a different journey. And that journey means standing out there on your own. Mm. Forever. Because actually what I... I'm sorry, I bounce around. No, no. What I just, where I consciously made the decision. Because I'm not Māori, so I'm not standing in the Māori world. I'm not Māori, mm-hmm. and I've moved away from Pākehā because I'm now trick homes, whether that's just my own um, sort of thing and feeling about it, but I'm not in that Pākehā space anymore. I'm saying we need to stand in this position as Pākehā, which isn't ahead of Māori or behind Māori, it's beside Māori. And that means no longer being in all of the things. But that's what I do, and that's where I'm staying. Never move. Because that's what touched me on Awamarai. Because what I was being called to do was to stand in truth. Because I was observing something that was the message to us all. The standing of the truth of the prophets of Pariyaka. The messages for eternity for everyone, for humanity. What an example to us all. Mm. Amazing. And if we don't learn from that, what are you there for then, Andrew? Just yourself otherwise. It seems like that uh, 
Bro, bringing honesty back to politics and completely blindsided you hit from Slapped us. Slapped me on the face <laughs> with the door. That's <laughs> cool. You didn't see that coming at all. Crazy. I don't know, mate. So you mentioned you made it, um, you know, talking about going into office without understanding all these things along the way, you know, having a true grasp on the treaty and, for lack of a better term, or maybe the correct term, the grievances that had gone on over time. Um, do you think that's a problem? Like that someone can kind of get all the way there without knowing those things? It's a massive problem. Yeah. I say that. You might sense I'm saying that. With, I'm not. I'm saying it out of embarrassment. My laughter is from embarrassment. Yeah. It's horrendous. It's beyond horrendous. It actually is the symptom. We haven't stopped. We are still colonising, is what I've come to realise. And if you don't believe me on that, and if we have time to talk about, mm. look at this process of establishing, trying to establish a seat at the table for Māori, which was what kicked in second gear on my journey. Um, I can talk about now if that yeah, yeah. segues in. So not only was I reading around um, Pika Pika and the loss of the land and the journey through there, I was learning about Parihaka and all of what happened, not just in New Zealand, uh, Taranaki, but New Zealand, people were sending me literature from around the country, good and bad, because I was getting attacked by some very, very dark people as well. You mean when you began to speak up about Oh, things? the minute, the minute I, the minute. Because what happened uh, during the process of um, settlement with Te Atiawa, the simple question that was put to me on the journey was from the Hakamatua, we are transitioning from grievance to participation. It's a hard journey for us, but apart, upon this journey, we, we, we want to be at the table with the council to make better for the province for all of us. Beautiful. Mm. Lovely thing to Not us. just for Māori, for all of for us. For all of us. Yeah. The best way we can do that is to be closer to the decision-making so that we can be on the same page with each other. Wow, I thought, well, how do, what would work for that? And the question was put, councils have subcommittees which just sit under the council itself with some delegated authorities. I know this sounds boring. And no, no, no. It's, it's important to know, though, to truly understand the context of everything that's going on. Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm not massively politically minded and, and no. things like that, so I, I love the breakdown, so don't apologise for anything. It's cool. Well, the analogy I give to people is, so you've got the dinner table in the house, you've got reception before the dinner table, and you've got the car park. So at the moment, Māori are out the car park with a committee Māori. So we had a committee whereby the officers and the council would just circulate the agenda for meetings and Māori committee could just have a say on it. That's not influence, that's not partnership, mm. that's not been shaping the place together. So they said, by all means re-establish your committee Māori, but for where we're now heading to grow for everybody through settlement, that's, that's not going to cut it for us, we, we need to be closer. What potentially could work is just coming to reception really, which is on the subcommittees of council. And no mayor can establish councils without the count without the votes of all the councils. Mm. Now you can have all sorts of subcommittees, and one that you will understand a lot is a finance subcommittee. And you can appoint an accountant externally to that subcommittee to help you manage the finances for the council. And people would say, that's great governance. Well done you. You can also put Māori on those subcommittees to help you engage with Māori because you're required to via the treaty in the RMA. Well done you? No. Racist. You can't have unelected Marys on a committee. Is what happened because the first thing I took was simply the request to 
establish hapu around our three subcommittees, two seats on each committee. They would have been these representatives elected from their own iwi and hapu, so there was the democracy aspect of it, mm -hmm. to get closer to, the, not even on the council table, yeah, yeah. to be just closer to the decision maker. Because more councillors turn up to these subcommittees than just the little satellite committee Māori, it's just the people themselves yeah. to each other. My councillors rejected it. After that meeting, my life was never to be the same, ever, um, through either being given the finger or being given hugs, depending on somebody's view of life and where they come from. Because I've done the, the most disastrous thing of all. I'd invited Māori to the table. Yeah. So you've got to understand that that experience was running parallel to my inner journey. Mm. And I was inevitably going to hit a crossroads of where does this now ravel itself within who I am as a person to what I do, who I become. Because when you're the mayor, you, you've got the microphone. Mm. You can stuff true. So of course my voice says, don't do any more. Look what's just happened, you fool. Look what, you just dropped a little bit of a bomb. It's only the first year of your term. You can back out of it, you can do some other things, cut some rates. People will forget. Get people Try back to on do it. Let's just move on. Nothing to see here. I was just trying to be the guy. You know, we're required to have those Marys at the table. This is in a dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, councillors had rejected it because you can't have unelected people, so you don't have the council numbers. Some of the community boards, why did a community board said it was wasn't fair, wasn't right? Got invited to a um, local uh, meeting here of some retired Rotarians ripping into me. Not a month before I had an applause. Someone said, who are you doing this, Mary? Shit. Wouldn't have voted for you. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, two or three days after the meeting to reject the Māori seats on our subcommittees, the officers come to me and said, you may not want to know this, but the council's about to go through its six yearly representation review. A legal requirement of all councils every six years. It's on your term, first up watch. The first question you must ask the community is should we establish a seat for Māori on the council table? Just as we have Māori seats in the parliament. Voted for from the Māori electoral roll. I was wondering how this came about. So I spent a lonely night in my office having this in the dialogue old Andrew and you <laughs> because you want to know my sign that my sign now had flashing lights and spotlights on it yeah yeah because the councillor's argument was you can't have unelected people on the council well this is elected this is an elected position am I going to risk it all for Māori yes I am yes I will Let's go. How long did you sit with yourself for that, that night in that office, mulling this and having this internal conflicting conversation? Hours, well, not hours on hours, but hours more than minutes. Yeah. Because By I, yourself? Yeah. We're looking out into, into the sky. Um, and all of those, the dialogue, what do you do? Take your time. Because I had the option to not take this question to the council. We could go straight for what's called just the overall representative question. 
That's what most councils in New Zealand do. They leapfrog the Māori question and just go straight to the general review of representation. So a bit of background to representation, what it is, and it makes sense when you think about it. So every six years you must have a look at are the people that are getting voted into the council a fair reflection of a community? Because you wouldn't want all your councils living on the same street. Yeah. New Zealand has... Because it's just a representation of that street. Correct. But New Zealand has representative democracy. That's how we roll. Parliament is the House of Representatives. The council chamber is the debating chamber for the elected representatives. And so we have electorate seats in New Zealand. Taranaki has a seat. Auckland has a seat. Um, Wellington has a seat. Mm -hmm. So that uh, when they go to Parliament, they represent their representative democracy. Otherwise, if it's just at large, we wouldn't want that because everyone would get voted from Auckland because that's where the people live. Yeah. And so that's not representing my voice. Councils are no different. So one of the things councils can, can do, by the is have wards. New Plymouth used to have ward seats in its city. So a ward seat is carved up to population areas. So we have 10 seats in the city for the city wards, and we have four for the rural. So Waitara and Inglewood have a voice. Everyone's elected off the electoral roll, but together you come in from the wards to make up the 15 people of council. That is representation. So every six years you must review, is it still ticking the box? Communities can shrink and grow. New development areas can pop up. Who's the, voice? Who's the voice for that yep. representative? Auckland City is massive, right? It has, it has representative wards for Otara and Rimuera and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right? But part of that process is the first question is should we establish a ward seat for Māori? The law asks you to do that, it asks you to consider it. Why? Because of the treaty. Mm. There is a based, treaty based obligation for the council to include Māori in its decision making. You have to do that by law. There's no consequence if you don't, but you're supposed to. Some count, some iwi have taken councils to court on not having done it just quietly. It's a big question, and it's the rightful question because I argue, unlike Parliament, councils are where the rubber hits the road. You literally deal with hapu. Yep. RMA, wait up at all that stuff. You are literally making decisions of where we live next door to each other. So you should have your treaty partner with you. But that little satellite subcommittee that used to exist, they couldn't influence each other. It made sense, right? They can't influence change. Yeah. You need to be at the table. So, here I am in the office. I go, I have to. I have to. You know, I just, I knew I had to do it. I knew I did. So we had workshops. I had two weeks to take this to the councillors. And long story short, it passed. The meeting, so this is just amongst the councils at this stage? Uh, to the workshop, there was angst, there was pushback, there was, there was no way, there was... Well, some people, how could you not support it if you were a ward councilling yourself? Mm. Um, so I explained the concept of representation and what it means. It counters the argument that you can't have unelected people. The Māori ward seat is voted from the Māori electoral roll. It's still one person, one vote. It still has to be the best person to get elected. You're not appointed. In fact, it's exactly the same as the seven Māori seats in Parliament. And we've had that for years. Mm. And there's a whole range of challenges on that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on that. That's an insult too. But we can do it for Māori. And so what we could do, I said to my councillors, is why don't we get a seat at the table, an official seat for Māori is voted, and we still have our committee, so Hapu can input. And that person then at the last minute has input to the final debate from a Māori world perspective. 
because that's what we need mm. to work together. And so the, the Pungmulta Council meeting happens, and some councillors that were angst, the first question around on committees didn't turn up to this meeting. And one councillor that wasn't there, who did support me, was there. And we got it through by one vote. We established that in our representative review, at the next election, we will have a seat for Māori. One councillor resigns on the spot. Media are all over it. Loving it, divide us even further up. Mm. Now here's the rub. In the whole process of representation question, only the Māori seat can be petitioned by the community. That means you need 5% of your voting public to sign a petition to force a binding referendum to either keep it there or take it away. And so, the next day, Grey Power lead the charge to overturn this racist decision to have a Māori seat. And all the, all the stuff that we hear, which I saw myself in, Nothing surprised me. Mm. I saw myself in that. So they led the charge. They got the, the signatures in record time. The petition was had. It got overturned and removed by 85% of people that voted. Here's the double rub on this. So once that decision for the Māori Ward seat has been decided by this petition, you must carry on with this review. Because you haven't resolved your other... Because you may not want other wards. And so we kept status quo, which is city wards and rural wards. Those seats cannot be petitioned. There's no mm. ability to petition those voices. Only the Māori voice. My new challenge in life has become, that is racist legislation. That is colonising 101. You empower the community, the majority, to determine the rights of a minority who happen to be Tangata Whenua, who happen to be the only ward seat that legislation says you must consider. It doesn't say you have to consider the rural folk or the city ward people. You have to consider Māori. Yet if you do, well, no, we better have a petition. Which is what happens. Yeah. Not only did it happen in Namitri, um, it happened this year, 2018, to five other councils who also did what New Plymouth did in my time establish a Māori ward seat and have their communities have petitions and have it overturned. All of them lost. All of the 80 percent rejection rate. You've empowered the majority, as I say, to decide the rights of minority. That is segregation. That goes against the human and political rights of Māori. What kind of country are we in the year of um, Kate and, and the um, women's voting rights? Would Kate Shepherd have voted on the petition? We would find it abhorrent to be allow ourselves to petition someone based on their sexuality, their gender, their religious belief or their political lands. We wouldn't allow a petition based on that. That would be horrendous. Or the Maoris want a voice, but have a petition. And the mainstream majority of, the, of our population, both politicians and media, are deadly silent. And it has inspired me in a way that I cannot find words to describe. I can feel it. But when you talk, I can feel it. You might be because able to it is the one example of Pakia and how we have treated Māori. That is modern day legislation to colonise. Because psychologically, you have empowered Pakia to determine the rights of the voice of Māori. Mm. Not all Māori want Māori ward seats. That's not my argument. There are, of course, there are inherent problems with that. It's only one seat. 
um, I'd have to be on the Māori roll if I was Māori to have my one vote for that one seat, whereas if I'm on the general roll for council, I can have 10 if I live in the city. Mm. I get all that. There's actually nothing to do with the seat itself, because the whole construct that we have is Pākehā. Who came up with the idea of a Māori would seat Pākehā? Yeah. Who came up with the idea of all of it? And who gets the blame for wanting it? Māori do. It's unbelievable. It's not actually unbelievable. It answers why I was raised the way I am. Because most people think, oh, that's appropriate. We better have that petition. And think of this too. So we have Māori seats in Parliament. I mean, the hypocrisy of this. Winston Peters, of course, New Zealand first ch- campaigned, oh, I'm going to get rid of the Māori seats in Parliament. You know, we've, we've got MNP now. We've got 29 Māori in Parliament. Great. Well, two things to that. Um, I could be born uh, into an uh, Anglican family. doesn't make me Christian. Those Māori in Parliament are answerable to their party. They are not answerable to Māori. Hmm. That's who they're answerable to. Yep. So because you identify as Māori, that's not the same as representing Māori, because you're not answerable to Māori. Only Māori can vote for Māori, and only Māori can speak and represent Māori on that basis. That's what partnership means. And on the back of that, there shouldn't be 29, there should be 160-odd Māori as well as Pākehā, general seats. That's actually what partnership means. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but if um, we're in a partnership, doesn't that mean 50-50? Not mm. seven? Seven seats? What, she's fortunately scared of, right? And if having seven seats, has, or even 29 Māori, has been good for Māori, well, look at all the stats. What's, what's the outcome going to be for Māori without any Māori seats? You're telling me it's working? No, it's not. And anyway, Mr Peters, you once held all seven Māori seats. New Zealand first held all seven. We forget this stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you want to get rid of them. Because, mate, you're talking to Mr Brashus of New Zealand, the people that empowered themselves to have petitions as to whether Māori can have a voice. Which has actually nothing to do with the seats and the construct. It's all about empowering ourselves as that majority. What you're missing is our privilege, which doubles down on how we treat a minority, how we treat Māori. I know that because that's where I've come from. Mm. Not an opinion, it's a reality of having experienced the petition through my own city. So even he said, let's get rid of the Māori seats in the last election. But stopped short of it and said, actually, if anyone's going to petition whether we have Māori seats, it should be Māori to themselves. So I say, well, if that's the case, why doesn't that process apply to councils? Why is it, if the council does establish a Māori seat, the petition goes out to everyone? You're saying if it's going to, this is to remove the Māori seats in Parliament, yeah. you understand? Mr Peter said, because people are calling, oh, well, if we're going to secure the seats, we better have a petition to ask the country whether they should be secured or not. Well, we know what's going to happen, just as it happened here. Mm. Gone burger. He pulled short of that, realised, and said, oh, well, if there's going to be a petition, maybe it should be Māori in themselves if they still want those seats. So why then is it that's OK for that level of governance? You come to this level of governance, and you have this whole mess allowing communities to petition it away. Yeah. You're making a mockery of the treaty because you've delegated by way of legislation down to councils, the RMA, which connects to the treaty. Even Article 3 about being able to look after your time, I don't, I don't fully understand the treaty obviously, but you, you've signed this agreement where you have special rights to make sure that you can look after your treasures and land, which is great. Yet where it really happens, there's no mechanism for Māori to actually do that because you can't even have a voice. So no wonder it doesn't work. No wonder these things have happened. 
So if you're not going to have representative ward seats, I argue then, if you think that's too hard, then you should have co-governance. Water should be co-governed. And don't say you can't do that, because you appoint people to our hospital wards. That's co-governance. Yeah. Half are elected, half are appointed. So you do it in some aspects. But you don't do it in these. Why? Racism. Because Pakeha don't know how to share. Because Pakeha are too scared to go into the Māori world. Because Pakeha fear losing something. What is it? Power and control. Mm. I know that because I'm Pakeha. Far out. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we've talked about, I guess, the embracing that you got from Māori, all the hugs and, and kisses and the welcoming in and stuff like that. What about the other side of it? So I could talk hours on different little scenario stories that happened in my life, mm. whereby I became hero to zero. And people are people. I, I came to realise I, it was part of my own inner journey. I was seeing myself. I'll give you a couple of snippets of examples. One was, when, I, when you're the mayor, you're what's called a JP, Justice of the Peace, yep. ex officio the office. That means you can do citizenship ceremonies, people becoming New Zealanders. You can't stamp passports and stuff, but you're an ex officio JP. So I got approached by the JP Association and said, well, Dane, would, you, would you like to do the study and the course? You could become a fully-fledged JP after your time in office. Because ego kicks in, yeah, check it out, Andrew Judd, JP. I'll do that. That'd be great. And, um, so I'm doing the study, reading the background to what JPs are, came out of New South Wales, that was interesting, and how they appointed themselves kind of Lord Masters of the Law over the country at the time. I thought, oh yeah, that's ops normal, I guess. Yeah. And so, I didn't know, know that, that's interesting. You know, go figure. Mm. Well, I mean, you could look at Hobson, the minute the treaty was signed, he set up his own structure of a governance body and appointed JPs, and I mean, from the get-go, mm. it was a sham, right? Because actually, if people defend democracy like they do today from the get-go, We'd had true democracy that you're fighting for today by signing petitions to say Maoris can't have a seat. New Zealand would be a completely different country. But Pakeha had manipulated the whole process the whole way to be in charge. So every outcome that Maori have to deal with are at the hand of Pakeha. Because every policy ever put in place has been through Pakeha lens. Mm. And who gets the blame for being in those poor statistics? Maori do. We never look at ourselves. We are the problem. So I'm starting to be a JP. They also came back and there was this anniversary celebration they wanted to have at the council chamber, 250 years of JPs. I thought that was maybe part of the reason why they wanted me to do it, put on a, a cup of tea for the JPs, but I'd do it, so I did. Yep. Part of my other journey had been around Te Reo. I'd, I'd learned to do a small pipi, uh, karakia to welcome people. So I did the small karakia to, which is another whole story of my Te Reo. I can tell you that. Yep. And so I welcomed them to the end. As I get down from the podium, a bunch of them come over at me. One goes, la, 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 la. aren't you the right little Mary boy? The other guy goes, that's right, son. Don't think we're not watching you trying to get these Marys to have a seat around the table. You won't be coming back, fella. Um, I mean, I know. And I thought, man. And that's exactly how they spoke to you, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah, Pakeha to Pakeha. And you probably know this stuff. If they don't think there's any Māori around, hard out. Yeah. Probably no surprise to you. Nah. Um, but you could knock me over, and I guess it's not all JPs, I know that, but it just struck me. Firstly, ooh, I do not want to be a JP. I can't get that out of my soul now. But it just blew me over. But these people are representative, albeit the level that they are, of a justice system. Mm. 
What an attitude. And, but I couldn't judge it. I recognized it. This was part of my inner experience. I saw myself in that. I saw how ugly it was, how evil it is. It's a look in the eye, a quiver of the lip, a flaring of the nostril, an attitude towards Mauritan. I've been a GP getting a health check, blood pressure being taken. GP says, Oh, I've been following the story. How you doing? Sleeping all right? Can't be easy. And all of a sudden, you know, Marys don't follow instructions, eh? You know, sometimes I hit my head against the wall. I thought, gosh, if you're telling me that, after watching what I've just been trying to do in my community, what does your unconscious body language say to a Māori patient? Mm. I'm at the super what conversations is he having with someone who isn't being proactive in the Māori community? Or you that's know right, all of that. If you are, if you are, that's right. Again, I recognise that. What had my unconscious body language said to people that are Māori? Mm. And I had to take ownership. Well, I know what they used to say. I'd get around behind the counter in case you met something. I'd see somebody who looked Māori coming down the street, I'd cross the road. Without a blink of a conscious thought. So yeah, I'm part of the problem. Because I've never had to experience how they must feel. In fact, we've got to a point where we, we've normalised the, the, the treatment of Māori to the point of, I would argue, Having polls and petitions for Māori would see, we've normalised racism so much that it's just ops normal for Māori. It's just one of many things. It's because life for me is a bit like a Matrix movie now. Now that I'm disconnected, that's all I see. Yeah. And so I'm all upset about it. You see, and Māori is saying, well, that's, hello, that's 200 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep up. So it's no surprise at all. Yeah. Of course. Which is why for me the journey's Pakya and Pakya. Because Māori can't fix what's broken because it's Pākehā that are broken. Mm. Might me, us. We need to have different conversations with each other to challenge the stuff like the JPs and like the doctors and like a friend in the supermarket comes up to me. A friend of many years. Oh, Andrew, I thought I knew you. What's all this Mary shit? Oh, God, you need, oh, I don't know what to say to you. So what, what, what do you mean? Oh, what do you mean? What the stuff you're doing? What do you, I don't And so we get into the whole Māori ward seat thing. Then says, well you do realise, the minute they get their settlement, they're straight down to Michael Hill Jilda to buy each other a gold watch. Mm-hmm. Now part of me understood that statement instantly. Because I would have said something like, wacky like that mm-hmm. myself. But my new person had come to realise my new life's journey now. How do I help break down that person's inner firewalls? Example that one there, I said, Well, really? Who, who did that? They all do, don't be naive. No, no, because the settlement hasn't actually happened here in Taranaki. Yes, uh, it was nothing to do with Enya. They, I haven't heard of that. Oh, I don't. See, something's happened to you, mate. I don't know what it is. They all bloody do it. Jeez, and walked off. And the example of Waitara going into the cafe to get a, some lunch. Māori gentleman comes up to the counter and says, Oh, look, I'd like to pay for your lunch. I saw you come in, I was too nervous to come over, but I just have to. Not many people stand up for my people. And I was, I, it was a humbling moment. I, I just, it was very t- touching, really. And as I left, waiting out on the pavement was a gentleman who came at me and said, I thought it was you. Now listen, son, we voted for you to sort these natives out, and you've mucked it up, and we hate you for it. Hate you. And so it was like a kiss and a slap within five minutes yeah. from two strangers. But a realisation a deep realisation 
but I couldn't judge the angry man, you see, because he is me and I am him. Two Pakia with a deep, deep unjust fear within. My life now is in a new, I'm in a new journey, I'm in a new direction. How do I help Pakia transition past those firewalls of fear to understand how broken we are? And only we can do this. Only we can face ourselves in the way that we must. Because my other fear or observation or whatever is there's no end to our evil. Not only did we come here and take what wasn't ours and do all the things we've done, I foresee our envy of the return and success of Apu and Iwi. You know, you were given crumbs, Arita, from settlement, and it's crumbs. You'll turn those crumbs into new loaves of bread for Māori, as Māori will do. Pākehā will want to take that slice of bread too. Because we were doomed to be different in that Māori, from observation, a communal, caring, hapū-based, value, beautiful people. Pākehā are individual, self, me, mine. Take the land, put a fence around it, farm it, make a profit. Mm. The land provides for all of us. We must care for the land because it's part of us. And Māoridom, there's culturally that's who Māoridom are. It's brilliant. In fact, I'd go as far to say that indigenous cultures are the saviour of the world. As you iwi transition, we'll get jealous. I can see it already. Ngātahu, when you hear people, you hear people commenting now, I fear what Pākehā might try and do because they'll be envious of your success. We need to have that dialogue. We need to understand who we are. Because we don't do that for each other. Mm. That's not Māori's problem. That's us. And all the time, always there, always around us, was Māori with their answer for the hug. And all we keep doing is taking. You might think, well, that's a deep generalisation. Is it? Who just took petitions to keep the Māori voice out from the council? Who's got all the poor statistics in jail? Who's struggling through the health, the education and the homelessness? It's not Pākehā. Who that's all struggling through whose policies? Pākehā. Take, take, take. We've got a long road to home. Money cannot fix treaty settlement, is my argument to Pakia or debate. Because money can't buy what's broken. Mm. And it starts with an individual. It starts with having a brave journey with yourself. Because you have to believe me, you have to take what doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think of me or what you agree. Yep. What you think of yourself? That's where it starts. Do you think there's a way to kickstart or provoke that process? There's a fine line I've come to realise between radical and relevant. Okay. Some people will put me in radical because I've said the word Treaty of Waitangi. You can see it in their face. Their nostrils will flare a little bit. Their lip might get tight. Simply because I said Treaty of Waitangi. Some people might say it because I've said Waitara. Some people will get off. I, I try to liken my journey as being a high-rise building and the top floor is utopia. People can get on at the ground floor but they eventually get off at different levels. 
example would be, oh, I ain't supported you, Andrew. What's wrong? Merit Māori should have a voice at the table. That's that's you know that's how it should be. I go, I know, I know. It's a shame. There's 14 councils. Maybe they should. We should have seven each because that's truly what partnership. Seven. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> Man, I wish I could be a fly on the wall with some of these reactions that you're getting from people. Well, because what I, like the man in Waitara, what I've come to realise is, is I, all I can control, I can't control what's in someone's heart or mind or spirit, is my reaction. I had a lady come into this practice a few months ago, and she, I could tell she was anxious, I thought maybe something wrong with her glasses, but it was to say to me, Andrew, judge you wrong. Those Marys should be locked up or just servants of the people. And I thought, how do I unpack that, right? How do you respond to that? Because oh, she said this to you, did she? Oh. Because your heart rate increases. I mean, I'm a human being. I get, yeah, yeah. I get anxious and fearful and defensive, and you want to take that on, right? But then they've won, in the sense that you haven't planted a seed. So my journey has come to realise to plant seeds, mm. to unpack some of the, the stupidness of what you're saying to me. Because I said, and as I said to her, and I said to the man in white today, I know what you're saying. Jeez, let's not stop there. I used to say even worse. I used to say things like, and I have a load of examples. But for me, I realised that actually I was ignorant, wrong, and racist. Anyway, thanks for sharing with that with me, because it must have been hard for you to come and tell me that. Because you just came here to tell you that. But you could argue, and I, th- I thought a lot about that. I thought maybe she's searching, you see. Because the ones that I'm perhaps more fearful of are the ones that say nothing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It seems like as well, like the big conversation that you have internally is what you use to talk to people when they try and have it with you externally. Yes, no, don't Because well, it's my story, my truth. Yeah. So, I'm, and that's that's my ammunition to break the barrier down. Because to stay. Uh, hey, I've had this conversation before with yeah. myself. I said, tell me nothing new. Well, I took on the biggest, most arrogant racist of all. Who was that? Me. Mm. I'm a recovering racist, and that's how I, because op- I, I talk around the country, that's how I open my speeches around the, 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 when I'm invited. And quickly to say it to you, if you want to hear, it was on the TED talk, but just to repeat, someone once said to me that Marys are lazy. Marys fill our jails. Marys, they're tribal. That's why they're so easily drawn into gangs. The Mary elite wrought the system for their own benefits. The rest are social welfare handouts. Marys are lucky they got saved by the British. The Mary language, God's dead. Why are we wasting our time? You can't speak it anywhere else in the world. And I'm sick and tired of hearing about the past. They've got to get over it and move on. In any case, we're all one now. Do you know who said that to me? I said that to me. My name is Andrew Chart, and I am a recovering racist. And I want to share a story that I went on to find that out. Now you might be sitting there thinking, hey, did he just somehow imply I'm racist or something? What's this dude about? If I stood here today and said I'm a recovering alcoholic, would I be implying that you have a drinking problem? I don't know what's in your heart. Only you know that. I've come to share with you some mine. That's how I think. Yeah, yeah. 
And so it's funny, because obviously I've watched it and I've seen it a couple of times, but now understanding everything in context and what where it's come from, and then now hearing it again, I see it in a completely different light. And I can see how you've re reverse engineered. Yes. Um, where I've come from, where I've yeah, landed, yeah, yeah. and where it started. So part of that is to give people, because it's planting seeds. Because mm. I know, I was raised to think like that by my country. So yes, of course I'm in, and there's an implicit way of what I'm saying to you, but I don't actually know what's in my heart because we are all different. Yeah. I get that. It's all degrees, of course it is. But within that, what questions have you asked of yourself? Because ultimately, as I say to people, either way it talks to the person that you are. So whether you've learnt our history or you haven't, it isn't going to do them after them, it's going to do with you. Yeah. I talk about my today, if, just on that if you don't mind. So I'm in the office of the mayoralty, Kitadani Cameron, I'll throw her name out there, because she's amazing. In fact, she has a lot to do with my journey. Thumbs up to Kitadani. She was on staff at the time. She came to the office and said, look, it's up to you, but I'm happy to give up my lunch break an hour a week to help you with your pronunciation of Māori place names. Up to you. And I thought, oh, gee, oh, I suppose I should. Thinking, yeah, that's the thing to do, isn't it? You know? That would be a good start for me. Um, yeah, let's do it. So I talk about my five-step Tadao program. I went on a, what I call five steps. Step one was to, it, it, to say, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say Tadanaki, not Taranaki. I'm going to do that. Seriously, I'm going to do it. Step two, I had to hear myself on my own say Tadanaki, not Taranaki without feeling weird, awkward, and some plastic ticky wearing wannabe something. Because it sounded odd to me. I thought, oh no, what's wrong with me? Step three. Say Taranaki or Waitara in front of friends and family without fear of ridicule and judgment. Mm. Because without a word of a lie, I said, I'm going to Waitara. And a friend said, oh God, they've got to you. Oh, you're one of them now. You got soap on the rope as well, do you, Jud? Step four. Be authentic. Don't say Taranaki at the Marae and Taranaki at the Rajiko because you're scared of the reaction. Step five is self-correct. Where are you from, Andrew? Taranaki, Taranaki. And I say to people, now go figure. What am I like? That's just to simply pronounce the place name correctly. Because I guarantee if I went on holiday to Paris, I would get the book, would I not? Madame, Monsieur, oui, oui. French. They love it. Wish I could speak French. Apparently, if you put a bit of effort in, they look after you better. Oh yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, where are you from actually? Hara, I'm from Hara. What is wrong with me? Mm. It's got nothing to do with Māori too. Does it, Andrew Judd? Another small story, I had some touring um, folk from Asia, and they came to our beautiful city and came and wanted to meet them here. Someone knew the PA, they came in, got photos of the chains, and we had a cup of tea. Their tour guide was uh, could speak as the interpreter. I said, where are you going next? She gets the map out, points to somewhere up north for me to say where it is. I go, oh yeah, that's far. Uh, um, oh, you're nice. Know, <laughs> no one asked me the opening hours of Pioneer Village. These people, they wanted to visit them, I die. It was all part of this journey, so. Mm. We're not a... We're not a European country, we're a Māori country. And we portray that to the world. How broken and odd are we as Pākehā? 
because the haka, but all of that stuff, yet we have this big massive blind spot, <coughs> excuse me, when it comes to actually owning it in ourselves. Okay, so? Yeah, big, yeah, it's a massive epiphany, it's crazy, like, you know, conversations I've had with um, Pākehā friends and stuff like that, they're going through similar stuff, or have been through similar stuff, um, but a lot of their conversation, I guess, had been from Pākehā to Māori, you know, talking to me and asking me for thoughts and opinions and stuff like that, but it's the first time I can recall that I've had a lot of Pākehā to Pākehā dialogue happen, yeah, 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 yeah. and, you know, kind of what you've gone through, hearing all that, it's crazy. Yeah, Because yeah, obviously I can't have those conversations, so... Well, that's my point, that's my point, though, but Māori shouldn't have to. Mm. You've done enough, you've given everything. There's nothing more to give. That's, that's my whole point, Pākehā. What more do we want from Māori, though? Mm. Other than my point of, oh, you're then going to want to take back the success, aren't we? Because we're going to get jealous. Let's be honest. Because inside of us, we are jealous. Mm. Because we're lost. Because we're not British. But we've been too lazy and dumb and scared and naive and ignorant and racist to actually go and find out what our friends have always offered us. Because it's always been there. Yeah. That love has always been there. Does it make sense? That? Yeah, yeah. And we don't know how to cross that. We're scared to. And the amount of people, Pākehā people that have said, and who may have listened, said, yeah, I've never been on a marae either. I don't know how to. I'm too sorry, I would love to, but I don't. I've had that a lot too. And I think, that's right. If you, th- if you unwind, we're such a young, bicultural mm-hmm. country, in those terms, if you think of our past, we haven't talked about what we did to Māori. Those sins still live within our psyche. Yeah. And the consequences. We cannot put it under the rug. And it's not to make Pākehā, it's not to make us feel bad, it's to work through it. Because to ignore any issue in a partnership doesn't work. You try that in a marriage or any friendship. They bust up or something went wrong and say, well, we don't talk about it. That's too awkward. So I'll buy you flowers, I'll give you chocolates, I'll take you on some weekends away and the goes past. Yeah, what's wrong with you? You're still going on about that? Get over it. Mm. Well, we haven't talked about it properly. We don't know our past. Pākehā, I mean, predominantly. You have mayors getting elected who don't even know their own history. And there'll be degrees within that, I understand that. But it's shocking. And so I say to the media, anybody, when the next campaign comes around, you should ask some questions of those who are campaigning. Mostly we get asked is, what are you going to do to get the rates down? What are you going to do to fix the road? What are you going to do for me, me, me? Mm. No question, I was never asked, because I was a two-term councillor prior. So, Māori, have had settlement, where's your view about the connection culturally about where we're heading? Because those are real things about who we are as partners. Well, I just want to know is, um, your understanding of the treaty, the obligations on each other. Because right? it's not, it's not, and that's part of what I came to terms with, it's not a Māori treaty, it's our treaty. Yeah. That means I have responsibility to it. That's the point, right? And so the crown is broken, and this is also part of where I'm heading, because the law doesn't acknowledge the treaty correctly. So we're, how false are we as Pākehā? We created this mythical document that we don't even properly have into our law. So I, I, I draw an analogy. That's like saying to your partner in a marriage, yeah, yeah, I sign a marriage certificate. I can't see in the certificate where I said I have to take the rubbish out and run the house. Well, you can do that, can't you? Good luck. Good luck with the relationship. <laughs> so no, it doesn't say every, every single thing. Because it's a, it's a binding contract of people's coming together. That's what it spiritually means to me. And that is so special. Because I also say to the Pākehā, and what are we like? 
one little touch of a feeling of colonisation to us by foreign ownership of our houses, and look how we react. The hypocrisy of us, you can't cope one iota with the thought of someone else owning a farm somewhere or um, you know, some houses in Auckland. Do you not realise that that's called, called colonisation? We expect Māori to deal with us doing that? How would you feel if it, um, John, um, the Prime Minister of the day, or ever signed an agreement with a foreign country and they load, they start landing seven full, you know, multiple plane, 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 and all of a sudden the houses are so expensive you can't even live in them. Because that could happen quite easily and you've got nowhere to go. And then your language is taken from you because you're no longer that majority. Oh yeah, you can have your stupid English, actually no, we might slap it out of you. And so then you're mocked, oh yeah, you can have your rugby. Bring on the rugby game, oh how cute. It's, it's the arrogance beyond belief. Yeah, it's crazy when you put into those, like you've, I have these conversations all the time, I guess being, um, being Māori, but also, you know, I've grown up with a lot of non-Māori and it's forever, I'm quite lucky to have a good circle where it's, it's quite healthy debate just outside of the circle. Yes, it can be a bit unhealthy, um, but we have a lot of healthy discussion within my circle of friends and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I was a Francis Douglas boy, but I, I went to Kurukaupapa. So I went straight from Kurukaupapa into Francis Douglas. It's very, very different worlds, um, you know, of course. And I grew up in um, Spotswood, but then later on lived um, in Fitzroy. So once again, two different places. Representation. Yeah, yeah, Dif exactly. Different vibes. Um, you know, I, I hear your stories about your interactions with people and how they haven't been the nicest in some ways and interactions with people and I just can't help but feel really grateful for a lot of the conversations I've had surrounding it all that have been um, one with respect, like yes we might not agree with stuff but you know, I've never had people come up and say certain things that you've obviously had said to you in your place of work even, which is crazy. Oh I get it. Yeah, I'm sure you get it. Which, which is, but for me it's, um, it's but it's opportunity, mm. it's opportunity because that's the blessing that I feel that I got. And that is that I see it and I can't become this evangelical, reformed racist that I can judge others. Yeah. Go off and do a rhyming, of course, you, you ignoramus. Because it's, it's way deeper than that, if you take what I'm trying to say. And the planting the seeds, like, that's great as well, you know, because force creates force in a way. Oh. So planting the seeds and helping them grow the idea themselves and come to the realisation within them. I think it's far more effective than we could love as you can only f hate with hate doesn't work. There is more hate. You got to, and that's the teachings of the prophets to isn't it? That's the message. Yeah. Peace and love and goodwill to all mankind, no matter who. That's a that's a spiritual message for humanity. And it just touched me in a way that I just it just resonates. That's those words, right? That's that leadership, that strength of 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 um, messaging. Oh man, that's amazing. That's amazing, what a gift to us all. And how do we live that then in our lives, right? How do we, each of us? Because a lot of people say, well, how, what's the future then, what do we do? And there's no one answer, because there isn't. Yeah. Isms will always be with us, it's a, it's a reality. But we need to be respectful, we need to care about each other. We love each other, right? Because it's not working, it's broken. And a lot of that probably comes from just acknowledgement in the first place, yeah? Like recognizing And that's the my argument about settlement. That's why money can't fix the, the aspect, which is the biggest aspect of what's broken, which is acknowledgement. Actually taking on board into your soul and spirit what took place. Because part of the, one of the barriers or the firewalls that I had to challenge was, and it was one a real loud one, and that was 
Well, you can't take the blame. You didn't do it, Andrew. You're a good person, not best person, you've got faults, we all do, right? But I didn't do that. No, I didn't take the land, stop the language or do all that stuff. But what I've done is remain ignorant. Now that ignorance, in so many ways, justifies what happened. Because it's ignorance, so it's, I'm justifying it by staying ignorant. But worse than that, I've got an attitude that's continuing to colonise. So I, money won't fix that. You can't write a cheque for that. So that crossing of the street, the standing by the person, the envy of success, the looking away from the Māori flag, all, all, all of that is about my ignorance, my fear, and my racism. Because we don't talk about racism, how it truly presents. We're not able to. Why? Because we know something's wrong. We haven't had the mature uh, conversation about what we did. And we deflect off. Because it's too hard to look at yourself. Yeah. Blackface and Harwood, all that stuff, the Confederate flag, all that. I was going to ask you about Golly, that. Gollywog. See, Gollywogs, I've lost a friend over Gollywog because I said how wrong I was. She said, oh, get off your high horse, Andrew. I think this stuff's gone to your head. I had a Gollywog, and I'm not racist. And I said, I didn't have a Gollywog, but I read Noddy books that had a Gollywog in it. And I thought that was a fine, natural, normal time. As, we, as society matures and becomes more enlightened, we can look back on some things in life and realise, you know what, maybe at the time we weren't thinking that was the case. Mm. But it actually was the case. So to look back now, what we say is, let's kind of close the book on that and say we're more enlightened and we realise that actually that wasn't good. Could look at like because legalisation of marijuana. Well, I like it because and my counter-argument is, because there was a time when doctors used to say, you should take up smoking, it's good for you. Yeah. That was the seed I planted with you. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the cigarettes too, because that drives me crazy, that stuff. But it's probably another topic. But, um, yeah, with the Confederate flag stuff, I was asked the question. So I appeared on um, Brian Vickery's yeah, Hokonui, and he asked me the question, do I think it's time that we need to stop, I guess, having that at our Americana? Um, I said it's definitely worth something looking into. Um, I have to admit, I don't know massive things around it. Um, but I know it does hurt a lot of people. I've done a bit of travelling and I've heard conversations with people that does hurt. And to, to me, kind of, that's enough. If it does hurt someone, then... I'm sorry, I post every day on my Facebook. I don't, you should, we should probably... Yeah, we need to connect on there. <laughs> I, I, I post every day because I had a petition to the parliament. I spoke to a select committee. And every day I'm posting post that day. So I'm up to day 216. Okay. And some of the posts, I've, so I have messages and images. But one of them was around because it was prompted by what you've just said, and that mm. is, you shouldn't mock a pain you haven't endured. And what I mean saying by that is, to, to wave that flag isn't a pain you've endured. So, and I said it to Brian, so what does it say about us when we become an item and realise that that evokes a pain? Are you going to just double down on that and say, I don't care? Because my right outrights that. Yeah. You haven't endured that pain. So what does that then say about society? You know what I mean? That's not very caring. It's rather self-centred and self-focused, actually. You've got every right to do it. I'll never stop you. Right. I understand that, right? But is that who we are? Because part of my realising was, um, so even though I didn't take the land, I had an attitude that justified colonising. I had an attitude that was continuing to colonise. And because I was doing that, I was colonising the next generation. And so once you see something, you either are proactive to say, actually, you know what, that's wrong. Because I had a councillor come into here on the back of the flag to say to me, I 
I'm wrong. If you want to know what real racism is, racism is, I've been overseas and I've fought in countries where I've seen death and destruction, which is real racism. And I said, that's right. Because way back, no one stood up and said, it's wrong. And if you don't stand up to tyranny and evil, that's where you end up. As you've seen, most of it's just conversation and free-flowing. The only one question I do ask is that there's probably someone out there listening right now um, who's in the, in the dumps a bit, feeling a bit down. Um, what would your advice be to them to help get them out of their slump? Yeah. That's a really good question. So there's a, I've been, we all go through things in life, and there's a quote that stuck with me forever to answer that question. And I think of it often, and that is, there was once a man with no shoes, he complained he had no shoes, until he met the man with no feet. That there was episode five for the Best Side podcast, Andrew Judd, and of course you can hear me quoting to him directly there uh, in the title of this one, Māori were lucky to be saved by the British, one of the many things that he used to say to himself um, during his time when he openly admits that he was quite discriminatory towards tangata whenua, some of it he knew about, some of it he didn't. Um, but yeah, I can no doubt that one there's already going to be generating some conversation for a very, very long time. As I said, we are going to be catching up with Andrew again. I've already bumped into him a few times. Uh, we're keen to get episode two because since we did that first episode, he's actually done 300 plus speaking engagements in a short year. So that's pretty bonkers. As always, ladies and gentlemen, please leave a review uh, on Facebook. Spotify, Apple Store, wherever you are listening, if you could leave us a review, default back to Facebook if you need to, give us as many stars as you want, leave us some feedback, we're only into five episodes, so I'm still taking on everybody's feedback and what they want to see in a podcast, but once again, thank you for joining me, as I always say, time is something we can never get back, so I'm pretty humbled that you guys are spending this time listening to the Best Side Podcast, thank you.